Luke's Gospel in chapter 7. We were considering this portion last time we looked at Luke, and we're going to just read that episode again from verse 36 to the end of the chapter. Luke 7, verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, the one owed five hundred pence, and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Amen. We thank the Lord again for the reading of his word. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. Father, we come before thee again and we ask, Lord, that thou was drawn nigh to us. As we consider the word of God together, we pray that that word may find an abode within our hearts, that we might remember the things that we hear, the considerations both of the preacher and of that which comes to our own minds. Lord, we pray that we might be brought under the power of thy word at this time. There is much, so much to learn that even in all of our lifetime we will not know everything that the scripture will give. Lord, we pray that thou wast lay these things upon our hearts and connect them also to those things that we have heard in time past. Make them a bridge to those things that we will hear in the future. Lord, connect them thyself to episodes in our own lives that we may understand. And we pray that they may be used also as a supply in the preaching of the gospel to others. Lord, that we might not forget that the command is to all of thy people to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so, Father, we pray that thou wast be with us now 
and that thou wilt speak to our souls in the Saviour's precious and worthy name. Amen. So we've looked at this uh, portion of scripture before. I really want to consider this 49th verse. Uh, The ones either side of it will be brought in as well and and indeed uh, some parts of what is said uh, and what is done in this episode of Jesus' life. But the question which comes before us this morning is the words of those who sat at meet with him who began to say within themselves, or that word within can be among themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? Who is this? That's a a powerful question, of course. Who is this? Remember how Pilate stood uh, the Lord Jesus before the people and said, Behold, the man. Uh, But there were many, of course, who asked the question, Well, who is this? And it is a question still asked today, and there are many who would give answers. Some answers are correct because they speak of Jesus Christ as being the Son of God, the Savior of all who will trust in him. Others are incorrect and are the kind of words which will come up in our thoughts today and also in Luke's gospel later on, that he is not who he says he is. So there are many answers, but I want to consider this thought with you today. And it springs from the edict of Jesus Christ, who says to the woman, Thy sins are forgiven. Thy sins are forgiven. Verse 48, he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. These are powerful words. In fact, there are many times when, having preached on something, you can go back and think, could have brought that out and could have brought this out and sometimes I endeavour to do so and make the sermon very long (laughs) trying to get everything in because I feel there's not at the time um, enough to preach another sermon on the same subject but I think that probably here when the Lord Jesus uses these words to this woman thy sins are forgiven is because the the woman's sins had already been forgiven but we find that she comes into the house and that she weeps over the Saviour's feet, verse 38, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet. The word wash is not a great one, really, uh, for us in our translation. Um, The Greek really puts across the thought of raining tears on his feet. Uh, So it wasn't so much that she intentionally washed his feet with her tears, but that was what Jesus said. She had washed his feet with her, with her tears. But she just wept at his feet. And we know that sometimes in our, own, in our own lives we look back over the sins that we have committed. And uh, there is more forgiveness with God and with Christ than there is in our own hearts. Uh, the prophet Jonah, when he was in the belly of the, of the great fish, uh, spoke of those who forsake their own mercy. And there can be many times when the child of God goes back over and over and over the things which they have done and their lives that they have led and have doubts because, well, will the Lord really forgive my sins? And here she comes and she weeps over his feet. And the drying them with her hair, well, it wasn't so much, or did wipe them with the hairs of her head, it wasn't so much drying them, uh, but it was perhaps a shame that she was dripping tears all over his feet. And uh, so she kind of wipes them away, even though she is there weeping at his feet. 
And so the words which the Lord Jesus utters are words of consolation. They are words of comfort. They are words of assurance that uh, he should say to her, thy sins are forgiven thee. They are forgiven. You may not feel that they're forgiven. You may think that they are too great, these sins which you have committed in your life. But let me assure you, your sins are forgiven. And what a tremendous words these are. But they are not seen for that by those who sat at meat with him. Rather, that what is seen there is the actual theological thought of the fact that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And to say of him, who is this that forgiveth sins also? Now, it could have been interpreted in a different way, couldn't it? It could have been interpreted the way that I have just said. And, and that here, what Jesus is saying is not that I am forgiving your sins, but just to assure you, your sins are forgiven. That's not the way they took it. And there's a reason why they didn't take it that way. Well, there are more than one reason, in fact. First of all, there was this critical judgment, which we looked at last time we looked at this passage. Now, that when he uh, looks, when the Simon, the Pharisee, looks upon Jesus, uh, says in verse 39, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him. For she is a sinner. And so he has this critical judgment to start off with. He, Jesus has been invited into his house to be judged. He's not been invited in that he might be uh, welcome to the house. We see this and we looked at this last time. The, the fact that Simon gave him no kiss, gave him no water to, dry, to wash his feet. And gave him no anointing of his head. He wasn't, wasn't welcome there. He was there to be judged. He was there to be evaluated. They are continuing to evaluate him. And they are asking this question theologically uh, and saying, who is this that forgiveth sins also? I think that it is not lost on them, uh, the uh, words of the parable which Jesus gives. But it wasn't the first time. In Luke's gospel already, this, this same thing had occurred. And perhaps that's why he had been invited into the house in the first place. In Luke chapter 5, you turn back just a couple of pages in your Bible. And Luke chapter 5, we see there in verse 21, uh, these words. Uh, this is after a, a man uh, sick of the palsy who had been dropped in through the roof. I'm sure we'll uh, know of that story and how Jesus had healed him. But afterwards, uh, even though Jesus had said to him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. In verse 21, it says, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins? But God alone. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered, answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. Very clear. Jesus is very clear here saying, The Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. And I think that this is continuing on in the minds and in the thoughts of the Pharisees who have invited him into the house at this point. He saith then unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them, took up there that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. 
So because of the edict of Jesus, this judgment which he gives and this statement which he makes with authority to the woman, thy sins are forgiven thee, we see the inquiry coming into the minds then of the, of the uh, Pharisees. Who is this, this critical judgment? Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And so we are brought then to look at the evidence and what it is that has worked in their minds to bring them to this point uh, not to interpret it the way that I uh, <coughs> just did as, a, as words of comfort to the woman to tell her, yes, your sins are forgiven. But in actual fact that Jesus was saying that he was forgiving their sins and asking the question, who is this that forgiveth sins also? There is a difference of opinion as to whether this is a, a genuine inquiry or whether this is a critical inquiry. Uh, I think I've made my position plain on that. Uh, but there is a difference of opinion. But I think that the context itself gives the answer to that. So we look at the evidence of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that he is able to give, forgive sins. The evidence comes, first of all, from the mystery of the gospel itself. Uh, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, his revelation and who he was and what he would do was a mystery from the foundation of the world. We read from Colossians chapter 1 and there in that chapter in verse 26, the Apostle Paul speaks of the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations but is now made manifest in his saints. And 1 Timothy 3.16, a well-known verse, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness... God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. There was a mystery of the gospel. And that mystery of the gospel is about to be opened once again in the 8th chapter of Luke in verse 10. In chapter 8 then, in verse 10, after the Lord Jesus has told the parable of the sower, uh, he is asked a question. I'll find the question. There it is in, in verses 9 and 10, really. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables... And then he quotes from the Old Testament, Isaiah 6 and 9, that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. So there is a purpose in Jesus Christ in the way that he speaks. He speaks in such a way that it's enigmatic. He speaks in such a way that the elect of God, those who the Spirit of God is working in, may understand who he is and what he is able to do. But on the other hand, his enemies cannot get hold of anything really to accuse him. And there is always a way in which they can be misinterpreting what he is doing and what he is saying. And yet, really, they ought not to misinterpret it because it is very clear. As Jesus saw, we saw in, in chapter 5 there, where he says, which is easier, for me to say your sins are forgiven or to say arise, take up thy better walk, which is easier to say. Just so that you might know that I have the power on earth to forgive sins that I can say to this man, arise and walk. I'm not calling upon God. I'm not using any incantation. I'm not using any particular words. I, I just say to this man, go and walk and you can walk. I can say to this person, thy sins are forgiven. Their sins are forgiven. And so it is very clear uh, here. 
And the fact that this is a mystery comes from the fact, again, in, in the, the verses of what is happening in the Pharisee's house, that Jesus does indeed use a parable to explain what is happening. So he says then to Simon in verse 40, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. And here's the parable. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. So here is the manifestation of who Jesus is. Because what he says in the parable is, somebody had a creditor, a, a, a creditor, and two debtors. So who is the creditor in this parable? Who can it possibly be when he is referring to this woman? Because he actually says to, uh, to him afterwards in verse 44, and he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, seest thou this woman? So Jesus is saying that this woman has a creditor. And the reason she's there weeping over his feet, drying his feet, and he is the one, as I have said, who makes the interpretation that the tears which she cried and the, uh, the wiping of them from his feet, uh, which she wasn't considering to be actually washing his feet, but Jesus was making the point that's what she's doing, nevertheless, that she is the debtor and I am the creditor. And the reason that she is here, the reason she loves me is because I have forgiven her her sins. It's very clear, even though it's a parable, and he's not speaking of himself directly in the parable, he's speaking about a certain creditor and two debtors. The two debtors, of course, if we are to fit them into this parable, are first of all the woman, and secondly, Simon. Simon had not welcomed him into the house. He gave him no kiss. He didn't give him water for his feet. He, he didn't anoint his head. And yet Jesus made no bones about that, didn't say anything about it, forgave him for this uh, rudeness. And so it was a very small thing to forgive. But the woman, he had forgiven her all her sins. And Jesus is saying here, it, it very clearly, even though uh, it is not clear to those who uh, are not uh, already moved upon by the Spirit of God, it is very clear from us reading it here that Jesus is referring to himself. Jesus is the creditor. Therefore, this woman has sinned not only against the people with whom she had, uh, she had committed sin, and the effects of that sin, because we know that all of our sins have an effect upon people around us, uh, people in wider community, uh, in, in all of the world indeed, uh, are moved in one way or another by the sins of this one or that. And who knows how far uh, that butterfly effect goes. We can't tell. But Jesus is saying here that for all that she has done, she did it against the people but she also did it against me, against me. And the, the Pharisees understand this. They, they, they understand this as we saw in Luke chapter 5. Who can forgive sins but God only? They understand that there is no man who can actually forgive sins. Remember the words of David in the Psalms when he says, Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. 
And we've looked at that in time past as well. And we saw that, in fact, David sinned against so many people. He sinned against Bathsheba by causing her to commit adultery. He sinned against her husband in the fact that he committed adultery with his wife, took his wife from him. And that was what Nathan, of course, came and told him that he had taken, as it were, the lamb of the poor man. Uh, when he had so much opportunity himself, if he wanted to, to indulge in, uh, his, in his lusts, he didn't need to take this man's wife. There were many others. Why this man? And then he had him killed, of course, and the effects of that. We see the effects in his family afterwards with Absalom uh, and Amnon. We see the effects. They just keep on going like ripples from this explosion which has happened. It's like a tsunami has gone out from what David did. And yet David says to the Lord against thee, thee only, have I sinned. And of course the Pharisees would know that psalm. Who can forgive sins? But God only. Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And I think that the connection there is clear that they had heard the parable which Jesus told. They had made the connection. They had made the connection that the woman was a debtor to Jesus Christ. She hadn't sinned with Jesus Christ, but she held him to be the one against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And she comes and weeps at his feet. The parable is told then, the manifestation of Jesus Christ, looking at the evidence, Christ is saying, I am God in the midst of thee. I have power on earth to forgive sins because the sins are committed against me as the Lord of glory. The purport then of these words which he utters are to say right in the midst of this Pharisee's house, not just with this Pharisee, of course, we read of him, but then they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, in verse 49, now, there are Pharisees there too. They were all asking the question. And his purpose was to make it clear who he was without actually uttering the words so that they could take him and stone him for blasphemy. They understood See, the evidence is that Jesus Christ can forgive sins. He can forgive your sins, my sins. He can forgive the sins of all who trust in him, who believe upon him. Because the sins are committed against him. Sometimes we have that situation where perhaps someone has felt the effect of some sin committed against them. And perhaps the a perpetrator has been taken to court and the, the judge finds them not guilty. And we know that they are guilty. We were there, but it's just word against word. And the judge finds them not guilty. There's insufficient evidence for him to convict. And so the person goes free. And the judge says, you are not guilty. But he is guilty. And the person then, whoever it may be, ourselves or some other, will go away feeling uh, greatly um, affronted in the, in the fact that this person was guilty. And we weren't believed. And somebody else said he's not. 
You see, no one can forgive sins committed against Jesus Christ and against God except God or Jesus Christ. We have to forgive the sins. They can't be forgiven on our behalf by someone else. We feel the effrontery of, of the, the fact when someone else would say to someone, oh, well, don't worry about it. I forgive you. Whereas the person who has been affected may not have forgiven them. And Jesus Christ here then is making it very clear that he has power to forgive sins and that he is the one against whom the sins have been committed. They are committed against him. He manifests himself. So this edict which he pronounces from the position of authority, which is a, a statement, an edict is a statement from authority. And the statement from authority from Jesus Christ is, thy sins are forgiven. The inquiry then, it comes up from that, and who is this that forgiveth sins also? The evidence is that though there is a mystery, Jesus makes it clear here. He pulls away, as it were, the veil and shows who he is so that they might know and understand. There is a manifestation of himself, even though it is not that the, the people who are not the lords are given to understand that manifestation or given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom yet it is clear enough whether they understand or not it's clear enough and we come then finally to the endangerment and the endangerment I want to bring to your attention is the endangerment of those who ask this question it is the endangerment of doubt they doubted who this was they had doubted before he came into the house there are so many manifestations of who he is and not just in the fact that he has made it clear from this parable that he is the creditor and that she and they all were the debtors but also in the fact that the, uh, the Pharisee Simon says within himself and this is not together with others but says within himself saying this man if he were a prophet would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him for she is a sinner and Jesus answering reads his thoughts knows his thoughts and answers what he says that, that surely is a manifestation of something beyond man's abilities and then states the fact that he is the creditor and that they are the debtors uh, then makes this pronouncement that the woman her sins are forgiven and also he says to the woman thy faith has saved thee go in peace that she is able to leave lest they turn on her also but the endangerment is their doubt and the doubt is the thing which we are surrounded by in these days you read in the scripture that even Jesus himself uh, because of the the doubt because of the unbelief in Bethsaida could do there no mighty work save that he healed a few sick folk. No mighty works were done there. We don't know how many people from Bethsaida of course were saved. Philip came from there. And others too of the disciples came from there. So that doesn't mean that nobody was saved there. But it was a, it was a time like this in that town, in that city. The, the people were hard of heart. They had convinced themselves. They, they, they doubted everything. They were cynics. 
We're surrounded by cynics in these days, but that doesn't mean that Christ cannot save them. It doesn't mean that Christ cannot break through the cynicism. And the endangerment of doubt is that people, because they doubt who Jesus is, won't come and hear. Or they won't give time to listening to the gospel. And this is a great, great danger to them. In Luke chapter 11, just a couple of chapters over. Remember, chapters are in the English Bible, but chapters are not in what Luke wrote. This is a continuation. This is a, a gospel account. He is writing right through. It's a book without chapters. And even though he has uh, sections in a, in a kind of a way and is broken up in a kind of way with different things that occur, yet nevertheless it's a continuation. In chapter 11 then, in verse 15, we've, we see where this goes to, this doubt, where it goes to. Verse 15, or verse 14, first of all perhaps. And he was casting out a devil and it was dumb and it came to pass when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake and the people wondered. But some of them said, he casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against, its, against, the, house, against the house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. If I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. So here they are. They are now accusing Jesus of being Beelzebub, the Lord of flies. And Jesus goes on uh, to say uh, concerning those who sin against the Holy Ghost, that they have never forgiveness. What is the sin against the Holy Ghost? Lots of people have been troubled by the sin against the Holy Ghost. But it is ultimately the rejection of the revelation of the Holy Ghost to the heart. It is rejecting the work of God. It is rejecting the gospel of Christ. It continues and there's no forgiveness because without Christ you can't be saved. And to accuse the Holy Ghost of being the devil is really turning things completely upon its head. And that was what they did there, of course. So the doubt, the endangerment was their doubt. This is where it begins, the doubt. And this is where it begins in all of the world. Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And we see then in the dismissal of the woman, in verse 50, he said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. This underlines the fact that it is doubt because he says to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. In contrast to their doubt which condemned them. And he states it aloud in their, in their presence. Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Their unbelief had condemned them. And it's interesting also just to note that he doesn't say thy love hath saved thee. Uh, it could be taken and some have uh, sought to take it this way. In verse 47, wherefore, wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, that they were kept forgiven because she loved him. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He is saying here thy faith has saved thee because you have believed, because you have believed. 
and these have not believed. Ephesians 2, 8, well-known verse, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And John three eighteen, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Condemned already. So we see then finally here, the endangerment is to begin with doubt. We see in the dismissal of the woman, but nothing said to those who uh, have made these statements. Nothing more needs to be said, really. It's all there. It's all there. And, and the statement where he speaks to her and says to her, thy faith hath saved thee. And he doesn't speak to them, either to rebuke them or to say anything to them. She is his. He is hers. But they are afar off. The development has worked through from their doubt in Luke 11.15, saying, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of devils. They have gone from this doubt, this, this cynicism, this skepticism, to a position where they are completely and utterly against him and accusing him of being the devil himself. How sad. How sad. How careful we must be to... <clears throat> examine our own hearts and our own minds concerning Christ. The, the question which they asked is, is a good one, isn't it? I've entitled this message, Who is this? Who is this? I hope we've been, given, been able to give the answer to that question this morning, that Jesus Christ is the God who forgives sins. That Jesus Christ is the creditor to whom we owe all. That Jesus Christ is able to save you this day from your sins if you believe on him. It's a wonderful gospel. And Jesus Christ is the wonderful son of God, son of man, the redeemer, the savior of men. And he is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto him through Jesus Christ. And when he forgives sins, they are forgiven. He is able to say to this woman, Thy sins are forgiven. Go in peace. She was not at peace, was she? Even though her sins had been forgiven, she kept going over them in her own heart, and her own mind. But now he speaks to her and says, Go in peace. What blessedness. What joy. To hear these words from the Saviour himself. Words which surely every person should desire to know. Go in peace. May the Lord bless these thoughts, these words to our hearts and meditation in Jesus' name. Amen.